0: Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6 with me. Um, We've been kind of just doing a short overview of the book of Ephesians, looking at attitudes that Paul the Apostle describes for us. So the Apostle Paul gives us a focus on these positions of the heart that we're called to take, invited by God to take as believers, postures of the heart. So this is an overview of the book of Ephesians using a framework made popular by an incredible believer in China about 100 years ago by the name of Watchman Nee. And he had this thing he drew out of the book of Ephesians. He said, these are three postures we see, sit, walk, stand, (sighs) Sit, walk, stand. So this is an overview, but I want to encourage you. Take these things away. Chew on them. We're called to meditate on the word and what we're called to, and to let it wash over our minds again and again. Maybe bring it into a discussion group this week or your U plus two group if you're journeying and say, yeah, what's been hitting me is the need to stand. What's been hitting me is I need to move from sitting to walk, whatever it is. Week one, we looked at the reality of sitting, this posture that we take. Ephesians tells us we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Because of what he's done, we can rest in his victory. We can rest in the fact that we are saved by his grace alone through faith alone, right? It's not about what we can do. It's about what Jesus has done. And sometimes we like to run on to the next thing, but we need to first learn to just rest in what Jesus has done for us. Yeah, you know, sometimes we've been walking with Jesus for a long time. You want to you walk with him. You want to run and stand for him and stuff like that. But we never get away from first sitting in what Jesus has done for us. Last week, we looked at the fact that when we sit with, with Christ, it moves us into walking with him. We want to be with him everywhere he is. We want to be involved with what he's doing. We're called to walk in the power of the Spirit in Ephesians. We're called to walk differently than the walk of our world. So from our first attitude of resting in Christ flows a desire to move with him, step into what he's doing in our midst. So if you want to look at the book of Ephesians as an overview, the first three chapters are very much theological. They describe everything God has done for us and what is true because of what he's done for us. And Watchman Nee says that's our position in Christ, we sit. And then we shift gears in chapter 4. And we look at our life in this world practically. How do we live? And Watchman Nee says, that's the walk we have in the Spirit. Finally, we turn to the last of these three postures. And he says, we need to then consider our attitude toward the enemy. We stand. We stand. And remember, these three things build on each other. We cannot stand for God rightly or walk with him rightly unless we Do that out of the attitude of knowing what he's done for us and sitting with him. So Paul continues, and we're going to wrap this up today. We're going to look at this final attitude to stand our position toward the enemy. Our key text comes from Ephesians 6. We're going to read verses 10 through 18. Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. Let's pray together and dive into this last posture of our hearts. Jesus, thank you for your word. And Lord, we love how you continue to stir things up in us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand uh, that we have armor for every battle we'll face. I pray this morning that you would help us to understand the reality of an enemy, but the reality that you've already won the victory. I pray that these things would sink and settle in our hearts. And once again, Lord, they would just draw us back to the overwhelming assurance we have in you because of what you've done. Lord, move us toward yourself even just a little bit more this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me ask you something. Uh, when you think, whoever a little baby that was, that was awesome. I'll take that kind of affirmation all day long. <laughs> uh, when, you, when you think of spiritual warfare and when you think of our enemy as the Bible describes it, what comes to mind? Anyone? What comes to mind? I think, I think for a lot of us, uh, we see something that looks a little bit like um, a mascot of the New Jersey Devils hockey team. You know, red with horns, pitchfork, the whole deal, a little tail. You know, we, we're trained to kind of think of our enemy in these kind of cartoonish ideas in our world. C.S. Lewis jumps into this in his amazing little book, The Screw Tape Letters. Anybody read The Screw Tape Letters? It's a fantastic book. It's told as an exchange of letters between a senior demon and his underling. And at one point, the senior tempter instructs his understudy in how to use our modern lack of awareness of spiritual warfare against us. And he says this: He says, I do not think you'll have much difficulty keeping your patient, the Christian that he's after, in the dark. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, simply suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he can't believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. Today we're going to talk about the reality of spiritual warfare as the Bible instructs us and the necessity for us to think and act rightly when it comes to spiritual warfare. In this battle, we need to be able to know what the word says and to put it in play in our lives. The first thing we have to know is this, that even getting the right understanding of spiritual warfare, even getting to the point of like the right mental framework of understanding this is in itself a battle. N.T. Wright says this, says the topic of spiritual warfare is itself the subject of spiritual warfare in our world. As though certain hidden forces would much rather we didn't talk about it or that we swept it under the carpet, the general public prefers to either ignore the forces of evil altogether, like Lewis was poking at, or to take an unhealthy interest in everything demonic. And we do see that in our world too, right? There's a reason horror genres are one of the best-selling kinds of movies and things like that. Wright continues, he says this, what we have here in Ephesians, what we just read, and what I believe is required again and again as Christians face a daily and yearly battle for the kingdom is a sober, realistic assessment of both the struggle we're engaged in and the weapons at our disposal. What we need again and again, he says, is a sober, realistic understanding of the battle that we're engaged in every day and the weapons we have at our disposal. Those two things are so important when it comes to the topic of spiritual warfare. We need to have that right perspective. Where do we get that? We get that from the word of God and what it says about this battle. We need to have heaven's perspective on what's really happening in our day to day, not just the extremes, and Dave will be joining us next week. And if you're joining with us and follow together, um, you probably heard him in the videos saying, you know, some people will like, they'll open a drawer and hit their shin and blame the devil for that, right? Sometimes we go to that extreme. Sometimes we pretend the devil doesn't exist at all. We need to avoid those extremes. And we need to know the weapons God's given us for the battle we're in. Amen? So we're going to look at these two things. First of all, the reality of the battle. There is a battle, says the Word of God. There is a real enemy and he's not wearing red tights. He is dangerous and we need to know what's going on. And the Word of God is just so clear on this. From start to finish in the story of God's Word, we see the reality of spiritual warfare painted for us. Now especially in the Gospels, you have ever noticed it kind of ratchets up mightily when Jesus comes on the scene. In the Gospels where Jesus encounters the enemy face-to-face, where he teaches us about the enemy and says, this is the father of lies, this is the thieves. And then the one who defeats the enemy for us. We see spiritual warfare all over the story of God's word. There are forces at work beyond what we can see and taste and touch with our senses. And what's the call on us with that? We're called to engage. We're called to not sweep it under the rug or to take that unhealthy interest, but to engage this battle The Bible refers to the church, us together, as an army. An army where every follower of Jesus is called to continue the work of Jesus, right? Didn't Jesus say to us as followers that you would do even greater works than these, right? You ever stop to think, well, what are the works that Jesus was doing? 1 John 3.8 makes it pretty clear for us. John says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. That makes it pretty clear, right? So Jesus came on the scenes to tear down the things that the enemy was doing in our hearts, in our world. So it's pretty clear. If we're going to continue the works of Jesus, we have a battle that we're called to engage. We have a battle we're called to engage. When we say yes to Jesus, it's not just about punching our ticket to heaven someday. We're enlisted into what he's doing on the earth. It's active duty in his army. Like it or not, that also means that we become a target. This is the uncomfortable side that we need to be real about. It means we become a target of the enemy. Well, why is that? Well, it's because the authority that God gives you and me as his children and the gifts that he gives to us are powerful the authority of God that he wants every believer to know they have and the gifts that he wants to pour into your life so that you can live this life out, they are powerful. And the enemy knows that. He knows that. So he wants to come at any believer who wants to tap into what Paul refers to as that power which works so mightily in us. You wanna make progress in your walk with Jesus. This is a reality. It means you become a target. we just need to be real about that today. We need to be real about that because Jesus told us, hey, if you want to follow me, do what? Count the cost. Count the cost of being my follower. Know what we sign up for. If we want to press into not just a, you know, I checked the box and said yes to Jesus. I prayed the prayer one time but the real life of the believer that he wants to draw us into. If we want to go into that kind of life, what Jesus refers to as life more abundantly, we have to count the cost as well and realize that it puts us on the radar of the enemy. As Gary Spicer has said to us so many times, new level, new devil, new level, new devil. What does that mean? Maybe you felt that a bit this year. Maybe you've been trying to press into God in ways that you haven't before. You've been giving him permission to teach you and instruct you on areas of your life that maybe you hadn't surrendered to him before. But as you go to a new level, you encounter a new devil. That is everywhere in scripture. New level, new devil. I I know this year as I've been, you know, just asking the Lord to do new things in my life. Trusting him like, hey, I don't know how this is going to go, Lord, but we're pressing in. Encouraging us as a church, let's go deeper in him. I know that I've had so many times where I've sat there and looked and scratched my head and go, this all happening to me at once cannot be coincidence. The amount of things shaking in my life all of a sudden cannot be coincidence. New level, new devil. You know, for those of you who are on the follow together journey with us, this rhythm of discipleship and you're saying, yes, I'm going to commit at a new level. We warned you at the beginning of the year, right? Don't be surprised when all hell begins to break loose in your life. When you try and press in deeper with Jesus. Jesus. Don't be surprised because this level of going with Jesus is not cool with your enemy. So be ready. You know, in reality, if as believers even, we're not really doing anything to affect this battle that's raging, if we're not actually aware of this battle, stepping into it with the authority and the gifts that God's given us, the enemy is perfectly happy to leave us alone perfectly happy to leave us alone honestly maybe the question we should be asking ourselves is whether we're feeling the pushback of the enemy enough whether we're feeling it enough are we stepping out in faith in the authority of jesus enough to even get on his radar that's an important question because the battle is real and the outcomes are real this is a game for keeps so what should we do what are we called to do Well, the word, if you maybe notice as we're we're reading here, that Paul repeats over and over again in this passage is simply this, stand, stand, stand firm, take your stand, stand against. Over and over, we see this in Ephesians 6. We have a real enemy who is truly active and our attitude toward him is to stand. And we don't stand and beat our chest and say, look at what we can do, look at what we've done. We stand at what he's done. We stand in what he's done. His watchman, he points out something interesting for us here. He says this, there is a precious truth hidden for us in that command of God. It's not a command to invade a foreign territory. Armies march in order to occupy and subdue, but God has not told us to do this. We are not to march, but to stand, says Paul the word stand implies that this ground disputed by the enemy is already God's and therefore it is ours we don't stand in our victory we don't stand in our authority or what we've done but Jesus has already won we stand with the reality that we've already sat in that Jesus has overcome that he's already given us the victory simply to hold so we just need to stand as Christians we need to remember this we need to hear this again We need to let it wash over our minds again. I believe with all my heart what Scripture says, that the world is waiting for the sons and the daughters of God to step up in this way. In our world, the world is waiting to see true believers stand in the authority of Christ. Sometimes we let ourselves down when it comes to this. Far too often, our stance, even as the church, is one of victimhood, as we look at the shifting in our culture, we cry foul, foul. And we try and see ourselves as victims. But the reality is this. You cannot be a victim and a victor at the same time. You cannot be a victim and a victor at the same time. So instead of just going, oh, this is, this, the world sucks now. Like, that's not what we see in scripture. We stand in victory, even when things in our world shift around us. Yep. Or, so often we see the opposite approach. Instead of crying, woe is me, it's so hard, we follow the kind of punk rock routine and says, it's time to take the power back. Let's take the fight to these idiots who think they can tell us what to do or whatever. But in doing so, it's like we're saying that the forces we fight against had a chance against God in the first place. But guess what? They didn't. And they don't. And they never will. So let's not concede ground to the enemy that he doesn't have any claim for. This deep-seated confidence in the victory of Christ bold stance by believers say, I don't have to take the power back and I am not a victim because I rest secure in what Jesus Christ has done for me. We need to recover this attitude again. <clears throat> How do we do that? How do we stand in this way? Well, we prepare ourselves for the battle. We realize there's a battle and we don't sit around and just go, I hope I don't ever encounter that. We, we get our armor on. We know and apply the armor he's given us for the battle that we will face. NT scholar, uh, New Testament scholar, Klein Snodgrass, has said there's two imperatives in this passage. Stand is the first. The second one is take. Take up the armor of God. Put it on. Do something with it. Don't just leave it on the shelf. Actively apply it in your life. Take it up daily. We have in Christ authority and gear for the battle ahead of us. We're not powerless in this battle. We've got everything that we need. And before we dive into these pieces of the armor which God has given us, something else stuck out to me. Reading through this again, refreshing my mind on the armor of God. Some of us have known about the armor of God since we were like this tall, right? We sing about it. My three-year-old daughter, I may never march in the infantry. We sing about the armor of God, all that kind of stuff. But we need to remember what this armor really is. And what stuck out to me about this is, is this. Have you ever noticed, looking at the armor of God described in Ephesians chapter 6, this armor is almost exclusively defensive. You know, I, I grew up playing sports. I fully believe that the best defense is a good offense, that kind of thing. But when I look at the armor of God, it's almost exclusively defensive pieces that God's given us. Even the sword can be used as much for defense as for offense. Hmm. Why is that? Why is that? I mean, because we are hearing more and more within church circles, we need to take power back, take the fight to them, that kind of stuff. But why, why then is the armor that we are described with almost exclusively defensive? I think it's because in this battle, in this battle, we face an enemy that's already defeated. Amen. We face an enemy that the word says is already irrevocably defeated in this fight. You ever notice that wild animals will rarely attack human beings, right? Even dangerous ones, they will rarely attack human beings. But when they're out of places to run, when they're backed into a corner, I learned at a young age, I remember growing up and mom, we found out that the neighbors had raccoons in in their attic or something like that. And she just said, if you see a raccoon, never back it into a corner because that's when they're dangerous, right? Wild animals really, really will rarely attack human beings unless they're out of options and defeated, and then they come out, claws and all, right? N.T. Wright says our enemy is the same way. He says this, the forces of evil that put Jesus on the cross have been seriously upset by the victory of the resurrection. They are now positively panic-stricken at the thought that this message of Jesus is everywhere, challenging their power and authority, and the communities loyal to Jesus as Lord are springing up, bringing together peoples and communities in a new unity, a new humanity that shows evidence of their creator's sovereign power and hence of their own imminent destruction. Therefore, these enemies are doing their best to oppose the gospel, to distract and depress young Christians, to blow them off course by false teachings or temptations to anger and immorality. What's he saying? He's saying the enemy knows that he's defeated, The enemy knows that he's defeated, so he's coming out, claws and all, to do absolutely everything he can to mar the goodness of God in our lives. So we simply need to stand. And that's why our armor looks like it does. Our enemy has been defeated. He's been disarmed. Paul would even say he's been publicly humiliated and shamed by the resurrection of Jesus. And now those same spiritual powers that he said we war against, they'll do anything to take us out. In their defeat, they're thrashing about, trying to ruin anything they can of God's victory. But we have everything we need for this battle to stand our ground in Christ. So let's examine our armor that Paul talks about here. The devil may be a schemer, but how many of you guys know that God isn't surprised for a second by any of his methods? God isn't surprised for a second by any of his tools, and neither should we be surprised by them. 2 Corinthians 2, 11 says this, we are not ignorant of the devices of our enemy. We're not blind to his schemes, but our armor and our weapons are more than up to the task. These pieces God has given us, they align. Have you noticed they align perfectly with all the ways the enemy wants to attack us? So let's look at them as we take up our armor. First thing we take up is truth. Truth is a piece of our armor. And Paul describes truth as a belt or a girdle, but that's a weird word, right? So if you have the older versions, what does it do though? It ties everything together, right? It ties everything together as we fasten it around our lives. We need to fasten truth around our lives in every aspect of our lives because all the pieces of our armor are held together by the truth of Jesus. So what do we do? We continue in the truth that we know. We continue to hold fast to the truth of what Christ has done for us. That is our guiding reality. And as we do that, it brings every piece of the armor together for us. But when we stray from the truth, when we err, when we go chasing rabbit holes and things like that, our armor tends to come apart at the seams then. So we need to make sure that our foundation is on the truth of God. Second thing we take up in our armor is righteousness or justice And Paul says, this is the breastplate. This is the main thing protecting our front. You know, a breastplate protects your heart, doesn't it? It Protects your gut. And one of the things that sticks out to me is our gut and our feelings and our heart. How many times does the enemy just love to attack us here? Right? He comes for our heart. He comes for the things that disappoint us. He wants to leave us in that place. When we see injustices in our world, things that we're like, that's just plain wrong and it's making me sick. You know, it's like a full frontal attack on our hearts in those moments. When somebody offends us or seriously disappoints us, doesn't that just feel like a knife to the gut sometimes? We need our breastplate in that moment. You know, we take up righteousness as our breastplate, but we have to remember it's his righteousness we're taking up. It's always his righteousness and his justice. We stand before God in the righteousness of Christ, and by the help of the Holy Spirit, we walk it out in our lives, but that's what protects our hearts when those hard moments come, is relying on his justice. And he writes again, he reminds us that the ultimate assurance we have is the assurance and the protection knowing that the one true God is also the one true judge that he's perfectly righteous in everything he does. And he intends to put the whole world around us right as well. You know, it's because God is a God of justice. It's because he is full of righteous action that far transcends our own limited understanding. And Paul would tell the Roman church, we don't need to take matters into our own hands with our definitions of justice. We rest in the fact that God sees it all. God knows every injustice. He knows every tear you cry too, And that will give us strength to carry on in righteousness because our God is a God of justice. So even when our world shows us so much injustice and unrighteousness, we wear that armor going, but God is, God's not blind to this. We simply walk out his ways and that protects our hearts. So we keep fixing our eyes on the God of justice and trust him. The next thing is this, the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. From beginning, the good news about Jesus is all about peace. When the angels announced Jesus' arrival, what did they sing? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men, right? The peace with God is possible again. He made a way for us to have peace with himself and with each other. Paul capitalized a lot on that in this little letter. The peace we're meant to carry with each other. But this little phrase is a little clunky to translate from the Greek. You know, most translations say, have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And it's like, what does that mean? What does that mean? You know, you look at the old armor of God poster, and it's like these weird sandal things that you're supposed to put on. But what does it mean? In the Greek, it literally means, have your foundation of your footing on the peace that God has promised to you in Christ. Have that be your foundation, your footing as you stand. If you're going to try and stand, but your feet are a mess, you're going to have a problem, right? You need to have your feet settled on something. You know, when Laura and I climbed Angel's Landing earlier this year out in Zion National Park, uh, it's not really for the faint of heart. There's some pretty big drop-offs right next to you, like 1,500-foot cliffs and things like that. So naturally, we climbed it in the snow. (laughs) Because I mean, who doesn't love a challenge, right? (laughs) We did not plan for that, let's just say that. But here's the thing, Um, we thankfully had some good people who helped us along the way, and they pointed us to these little contraptions called micro spikes that could fit over your boots and help you along the way. And with our micro spikes, our, our grip exponentially increased with every single step. We were held fast to the rock underneath that snow. How many of you guys know on slippery ground, we need something to hold us fast to the rock? And when we live with our daily reality is the peace we have with God. Nothing can take us out of his hand. Because of Jesus, we can have peace with him every moment. When we live with that reality and that we allow that to overflow into our relationship with others, we get grip no matter how slippery the ground gets in our world. We need that so that we can stand for him. Because in our world, we often find ourselves on unstable ground, unstable ground, unfamiliar ground. You know, how many touchy topics and weird conversations do we get involved with now? Trying to figure out where where the other person's at with this. How many shifting loyalties do we encounter in our world? It's a lot of slippery ground out there nowadays. Remember what Asaph wrote? We talked about it about a month ago in Psalm 73. He said, when I kept looking to all these things going on in the world, I almost lost my footing. My feet almost slipped. But God has made a way for us to have firm footing in him for eternity. And we need to stand on that. Like David sang in Psalm 40, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. That's our footing in Christ Jesus. And Paul says we need to remember that and take our stand on that. It's the peace that we have with God in Christ every day. And then he says take up the shield of faith. Faith is our shield. Because basically the attacks of the enemy are not going to stop. And we need to be able to extinguish those fiery darts that will keep coming. The attacks keep coming, and we have a first line of defense, he says, in our faith. N.T. Wright says this, the arrows of the enemy may take the form of doubt or despair, of adverse circumstances in our lives, of sharp temptation that will burn you up if you let it catch light on you, of personal tragedy, or indeed the kind of triumph that tempts you to arrogance and pride. Believing loyalty will quench them all. Our loyalty to Jesus and faith in him alone, it's by faith that we're saved. That will quench all that the enemy wants to throw at us. You know, Jesus often referred to his followers as you of little faith, right? Oh, you of little faith. And sometimes we can feel like that, like I'm facing some things right now. I got some things. I don't know if my faith is strong enough for this. I haven't had this battle before. I'm not sure what to do. Sometimes we feel like a oh, ye of little faith. But remember, faith is a muscle. Faith is a muscle. It's something that we exercise and we grow in. We step out in faith and we watch as God is faithful. You know, faith is a muscle for us. We need to exercise it so that shield gets bigger and bigger as the enemy keeps throwing more and more at us. But don't forget, Jesus also said that even with faith as tiny as a mustard seed, we can tell the mountains get a move on, get out of here, go move into the sea. We need to take up the shield of faith and we need to be actively stepping out in ways that grow our faith. That will protect us in this battle. The last piece of the strictly defensive armor is our helmet, salvation. You know, just like the enemy likes to come out our hearts and we need the breastplate of righteousness, how many of you know that probably the primarily the place that the enemy attacks is in our minds, and our thought lives. Anybody else get attacked there? I know I do quite frequently. Our protection from these attacks is the salvation we have in Christ. Salvation we have in Christ. You know, the enemy will never stop trying to talk you out of your salvation in Christ. Have you noticed that? He'll never stop trying to make you doubt that what Jesus did for you is enough to cover your sin, is enough to reconcile you to the Father. He'll never stop shaming you trying to make you believe that, oh, you crossed too many lines now. You know, your father is done with you. He's washed his hands of you. You're beyond his reach now. He doesn't even want you anymore. The enemy loves to plant these ideas in our minds. He loves to get us to doubt our salvation. Or he loves to distort the image of God we carry in our mind and in our hearts so that we don't think God is good, that we don't think that He desires what scripture tells us he does. I want to draw our attention back to the first chapter, one of the first things Paul says in this letter to the Ephesians. He tells us that it was God's good pleasure to save us. It was his joy. It wasn't because of what we did. He wants to find us right where we are, even in the muck and the mire, and save us. He's not waiting for us to get things together. He goes 100% of the way to find you and me. It's his intention, not your intention. And we need to remember that. Somebody once said it like this, you need to read the word of God like he was smiling when he wrote it. We need to remember that it brings him pleasure for us to turn to him and say, I can't deal with this. He's like, yes, finally you get it. Come to me. Our salvation is something the enemy will never try to stop making us think it's something that depends on us. But Paul again and again in this letter says, no, no because God loves you this much. It's because his grace goes further than all of your sin. It's because he cares like a good father. We need to keep that in mind when the enemy tries to attack our thought lives. Say, no, 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 devil. I know exactly who my God is. I know exactly how good he is. You cannot get me to believe that his salvation is not enough for me. That's our helmet that we need to put on. We've been adopted as sons and daughters and nothing on earth could ever change that because of who he is and what he's done. And one day, we'll be singing with all of creation around the throne, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Amen? Amen. Finally, we have the sword, sword of the spirit, the word of God. And what Paul refers to when he says the word of God, you know, we tend to think... This is the word of God. Well, Paul wasn't actively, he was writing part of that. So what does he mean by the word of God? He means the gospel. He means the way that Jesus has stepped into the story we read about from Genesis on and completed it for us. He means how Jesus is the answer to all the questions that scripture raises in us. The only weapon that Paul describes for us that can be used offensively in this battle at all it's an alternative story that we live into every day, that Jesus is Lord. He's not just Savior, but he's Lord of my life. The Spirit of God brings this reality to life in us. The Spirit of God enables us to live out the ways of God. And how many of you guys know that when you begin to live out the ways of God, you live into this story, it shakes things up in your relationships, It shakes things up in your office space, whatever. When you start to live your life according to the ways of God, people sit up and take notice and go, something's different about you. That's that offensive weapon in motion. That's when we're we're making progress towards what God has designed and intended us for. This is our armor, as Paul describes it. This is how we stand, totally prepared for everything that this battle could throw at us. And everything about this armor If you've noticed, it's a bit repetitive as we look at it because it's all rooted in the victory of Christ. It's all rooted in the victory of Christ, the truth of what he's done for us. And every piece of this armor is effective against the attacks of the enemy and the ways he wants to come at us. So is he attacking your mind today? Is your thought life a mess? Is he attacking your feelings and your heart? You know, is he bringing things at you that are challenging your understanding of truth, whatever it may be, Paul points us back to what God has done for us again and again here. And we need to think rightly about these things. We need to let the truth of God's word bind it all together so that we can walk in his ways and stand for him. We're going to bring this home in just a minute, but I want to draw our attention to one more thing in this passage from the Apostle Paul. Verse 12 says this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against rulers and principalities and darkness and the evil things that we cannot see in this world. You know, we need to be real about our enemy. We've been focusing on that, but we also need to hear the first part of that sentence. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is another very, very practical reason that we need to have heaven's point of view on the battle that we engage Because if we don't take heaven's point of view, then our hearts will be swayed by all the lesser battles raging in our world. All the lesser battles in our world, and there's a million of them, and they keep getting more and more. It's a constant temptation, even within the church sometimes, to downplay the spiritual realities that we face and instead take aim at one another. Or take aim at everybody outside the walls of this place, or whatever it may be. It's a constant temptation, and it always has been for God's people. Why do you think he's writing this to them? John Mark Comer puts it like this. As long as we deny the reality of demonic evil, we will demonize people. The very people we're called to love and to serve. Instead of fighting Satan, we'll turn people or even entire groups of people into Satan. I mean, come on, let's be honest. We can see that pretty quickly in our world. So we need to get the right kind of thinking about the battle we're in and how we're called to engage it. Otherwise, we'll get blown back and forth by this cause or that group or other things that make claims to our allegiance. But Jesus already claimed our allegiance. Amen? It's far easier to just demonize and attack other people, flesh and blood. But that's not how Jesus showed us to do it, is it? In fact, the one who we see doing that in scripture isn't Jesus, it's the enemy. I don't want to follow his path. Like we were saying last week, use your anger. That's the uh, emperor from Star Wars. That's not Jesus, right? <laughs> like, so let's not get on that train, okay? Like, as believers, we need to dedicate our hearts to saying, I'm not going there. Amen. I'm not going there. Whatever agency God has given me, whatever ability, whatever voice he's given me in people's lives, I'm not going to jump on that bandwagon. I'm doing it his way. I'm doing it the way Jesus taught us. And throughout this letter to the Ephesians, Paul has hammered on about our unity with one another that draws people who are far from God to the goodness of God. He's hammered on about grace, peace, and forgiveness that's been extended to us in Christ. And because his victory has made it possible for us to then become those people who extend that to others, People of reconciliation, people of forgiveness, that's who he intends his people to be. So Paul says this, let's remember who we're fighting in this battle. Let's not get confused about that, and let's do it his way. Spiritual warfare is real, but never forget that this battle is already won. This battle is already won. We can stand for him because he first invited us to sit with him in his victory. So just like we said all along, these attitudes of the heart, they build on one another. Until we learn to sit in what Christ has done for us, our walking with him will be always fraught by us going our own way. Until we learn first to sit with what Christ has done for us and revel in the victory he's won for us, our standing for him will look a lot like our own power and our own agendas. So we go back. It all comes back to this reality Jesus Christ has done for you and me what we can never do for ourselves, what we can never do for ourselves, and we simply rest in his perfection. Then all the struggles we will ever encounter, big things and small things, they're exposed for what they really are, and we simply stand in him. One final time, Watchman Nee says this, Satan's primary object is not to get us to sin, simply to make it easy for us to do so by getting us off the perfect triumph on which the Lord has brought us. Through the avenue of the head or the heart, through our intellect or our feelings, he assaults our rest in Christ and our walk in the spirit. But for every point of his attack, defensive armor is provided. The helmet and the breastplate, the belt and the shoes, while overall is the shield of faith to turn aside his fiery darts. You have an enemy, but every single way he ever wants to attack you, the victory of Jesus will protect you. Let's take up the armor of God, amen? Yes. We're gonna close in prayer, and I wanna encourage you as we close in prayer, maybe you felt the acuteness of this battle in some way lately, we wanna pray with you. We wanna pray with you. You know, if there's a battle raging in your life, Remember, big things are small things. I want to invite you, though, first and foremost, to stand in his authority. Stand in the victory of God. Stand in the victory of God. The best way that we stand is never alone. It's together, right? When you look at an army, it's not an army of one. You got people who have your shoulder, and your shoulder, they're protecting your flanks. The best way we do this is often together. So I want to encourage you. You you would be surprised to learn all the battles going on in this room. Even as a pastor, I know I'm only aware of like the tip of the iceberg and it's already overwhelming. There are battles happening here. So don't think, don't let the enemy make you think you're the only one because he wants to. He wants you to think you're alone. Nobody else struggles like this. Everybody else is perfect. That is so far from true, everybody. So what that means is we need to have each other's backs. I encourage you, if you're going through a battle, find myself at the side. One of our prayer partners, turn to who brought you and let's lift any battle before the Lord and say, you know what? You've given me victory already. I wanna to learn to walk out that victory. I wanna stand in that victory. Teach me again, Jesus. And Lord, would you fight the battle for us? We read it a few weeks ago from 2 Chronicles. This battle is not yours, this battle is the Lord's. Let's give it back to him, amen? But let's do that together. Let's join our faith and pray. It's for freedom he's set us free. So let's press in and let's rest in his victory. But also, I want to invite us just to stand now and worship. We're going to sing a song today. And this song isn't so much a a song that invites, like, Lord, would you please come and help us? This song is a declaration of victory. This song is a declaration that Jesus has already won this battle. This song says, the way I fight my battles is to let him fight for me. So let's take up that posture of our hearts again and stand. This is our attitude toward our enemy. Let's do it together as we worship today. Jesus, we thank you. First and foremost, Lord, we thank you that nothing, nothing on earth, nothing below the earth, nothing could ever separate us from your love. Lord, we thank you that your victory is complete for us. We thank you that even what the enemy intends to harm us, you routinely turn for our good and for the saving of many lives. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Today we stand, we stand grateful for your victory. We stand putting all of our faith in you. We take up the armor that you've provided for us and we surround our lives with it, knowing that we're in the middle of a battle and the enemy will not stop, but he's defeated. He is defeated. So we just simply rest in your victory. We stand in your power, we stand in your authority, And God, we stand for your glory. We give you all the glory, Lord. And we pray that you would continue to just simply show us how your arm is not short, how you never fail us, how you have already achieved everything that we could possibly need. Lord, we rest in you today. And God, we worship you because you're victorious. We worship you because you are all the strength we need. And even when we're weak, your strength is made perfect in us. So Father, we lift up your name today and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.